0: Being a good parent isn't just about having a set of skills or knowing the right thing to do all the time. Ask any good parent you know. They can tell you their pro tips, but most are happy to admit that a lot of parenting feels like winging it. Who we are and how we continue to grow matters because our kids pick up most of what they learn from us by watching how we do things, not by listening to our instructions. So join me on this journey of remodeling our mindsets so that our actions speak to those watching. I'm Dr. Dina Shelton, and this is Remodel Parenting. Welcome back to Remodel Parenting. Today we are all about development and it's all about adolescence. If you have adolescence in your house, it may feel like it's all about adolescence all the time anyway, right? And so we're going to cover today what's going on in these This stage and just a reminder that these developmental stages, especially as we get into older stages, can be preparation for our children, but they're also going to be helpful as we move into the adulthood years for our own self-development and reflection. And also those of our, uh, if you have aging parents or if you are navigating that sandwich generation or taking care of your kids and parents. Um, or looking into the future for your own development, not just your children's, because we all know that's what this remodeling part is about, right? Is remodeling our own experiences so that we are the most beneficial to our kids that we can be. So what is happening in adolescence? All the things, right? That's what it feels like. Um, I have two at this point that are in this stage. We're talking 11 to 18, 11, 12 to 18, So the primary teen years up through finishing school is what we would call adolescence. And physical and mental development during this time revolves around puberty. When people talk about adolescence and body development, everybody goes to puberty first, which lasts about three to five years uh, from start to finish. And it can start um, at a wide range of times and end at a wide range of times. And so the normals and the averages only mean as much to give people broad context they're not overly applicable on the ground with individuals what is important to know because it's true in every scenario is that everything is changing fast and that's not just during puberty it's during adolescence altogether body mind and emotions and like in middle childhood, we do well when we help them navigate the changes rather than just try to hold on to them or keep them doing things the same way, but helping them reconstruct what they're doing and why they're doing things as, as their brains are changing. They're not just changing what they're thinking about. Their brains are changing and how they're thinking and processing things. It's not just conscious choice that's going on here to say, well, I'm just going to buck the system and do what I want to do. It's not coming from only that type of place. I'm not saying that that can't be present at times. Some, you know, attitudes, uh, rebellious attitudes or just kind of wanting to push back for other reasons. But their brains are primed for this and there are reasons for that. Um, Just like in middle childhood, nutrition and hydration and sleep all continue to be really vital for growth. The body is still growing during this time and um, issues in those areas can change how the body develops and grows into adulthood lack of sleep for teens actually becomes a big issue Um, especially if they're on screens too much because the light from the screens can um, alter their circadian rhythm and change how their body wants to sleep putting them in more sleep deprivation so especially if kids have phones in their rooms and they're prone to texting at night um, it can really alter long long term but it's not just phones it's also tvs computer screens, other types of, of screens that they're looking at, the later, you know, anybody is up on a screen, um, the more likely they are to struggle going to sleep. And so if you see issues in that or tiredness in teenagers, you really want to check on how and what they're sleeping. Um, and I'm just a big fan of teens not having phones in their rooms at night in general, um, just because I think that's a good healthy practice at that age. And we'll talk about that in a few minutes about regulation, um, when people don't sleep, though, and and I'm, I'm honing in on sleep because when when we as humans don't sleep well, our neurocognition, our the regeneration of our neurotransmitters, the way our brain function alters, and mood it adjusts and changes our mood. And we already have those things going on with teens anyway. The mood, emotional regulation, emotional development, and emotional intelligence. Regions of the brain are developing the strongest, so moods are a little bit all over the place anyway and can fluctuate pretty rapidly, but if you're, you've got a kid that's in that and they're not sleeping well and they're not getting full REM cycles, you can get into some significant depression and anxiety issues pretty quickly, and so that's one of the things that you want to check on and consider if you've got kids that are struggling, and really that's at any age, But teens, it just elevates because teens want to stay up and talk to people instead of go to sleep. Um, Kids and teens don't have regulating brains. The way their brains are developing, the part that helps them think of cause and effect, make judgment calls, those types of, of decisions, that's in the frontal lobe of our brain, the very front parts in this region called the prefrontal cortex. And that is the last part of the brain to finish developing. It doesn't finish until mid-20s. Um, we used to think that brain development was done during adolescence. That's not true at all. And because of that, we have to remember as parents that expecting our teenagers, especially as they start to grow into and look like adults in so many ways, but expecting them to regulate like adults, regulate their activities, their um, their, their You know, screen time, uh, things like that. It's not there. It's just not that's just not something that they have the full capacity to do. They can follow rules. They can comply with things. But we can't expect them to craft that from their own uh, their own mentality that, oh, healthy balance is important because that's not where their brain is focusing. The emotional brain is the most tuned in during this time frame, not that prefrontal cortex. Um, And because of that, things feel so much more emotional. And I've taken to telling my teenagers, because I kind of wish somebody had told me this when I was a teenager, that you know, life stays as hard as it feels sometimes, and sometimes it still feels this hard, and sometimes harder. But you don't feel as crazy on the inside. That that just does change. And giving them even just some of that hope can help balance and anchor them to remind them that their brains are growing and developing, and it won't always be that way. Brainstorm by Dan Siegel is a great book um, to get. It's designed to be read with your your adolescence. It's about the power um, and and processes of the adolescent brain. So we're talking ages 12 to 24. But it's got some really good stuff in there that's designed to be read with your kids if that's something that you're looking for. But the, the most important thing about it is it talks about what the adolescent brain is is positioned to do and that is to take risks and push boundaries to stretch, to grow and to learn. And because of that, that's what brings a lot of the categorically understood and, you know, kind of colloquial things that we're like, Oh, adolescence, um, because they are learning how to put themselves out there to take risks, to take control of situations and see what can happen. And so just teaching them how to take care of their brain and their body in all of this is important. Them knowing what's developing and how to care for it, especially with things like nutrition and sleep and water. Um, nutritional deficiencies are actually the highest across the board in adolescents. If you're looking at one age range, because they're pulling away from their parents and kind of pushing back on rules. We're not around them as much. They have access usually to more money and more things to buy so they can eat and drink and, and do things that we might not have at our houses. Um, and that can adjust their, their nutrition and it can affect their physical and cognitive development. And so it's, It's better at this stage to learn how to navigate that with your teen as a consultant and not just as the rule maker because if they are away from you for large chunks of time, um, you're not going to be able to push that anyway. And that's really not where we want our kids working from as they go into adulthood. We want them working from a sound mind and good processes in themselves, not just rules that we gave them, right? Um, Physical consequences of... You know, bad nutrition and poor hydration and things like that are real. It can cause anything and everything that can look like serious physical health issues. It, they can lead to serious physical health issues, but they also can cause things that look like mental health issues and it can cause mental health issues. And especially if um, eating and and a body concept gets off, it can lead into even bigger issues like um like dysmorphia with the body and eating disorders and that arena. Um, And those are things that have very different tracks, even in terms of depression and anxiety that a lot more adolescents are going to experience. Not all of them are going to experience things like eating disorders, which is its own category. And I'll encourage you, if you have kids that you feel like have some disordered eating patterns, or maybe um, you can tell might be starting to have an unhealthy relationship with food. And when I say that in their, their mentality, that they're thinking more than they should about whether or not they should eat. Um, or there, you have a child who's worried about gaining weight, address that directly and ask them. Tell them that that's not healthy thinking patterns and that can lead to, to bigger issues and invite them to learn about healthy balance. And sometimes we can learn alongside them and help with that. Um, and so this time frame of their bodies and brains developing can be hard for us because we are their primary guides. And sometimes we can, we can abdicate that position pretty easily because they're not as interested in hearing from us and they're willing to go and get that information other places. But Teens really need to hear from their parents on physical, sexual development, mental development, emotional development. They need that feedback and information. And every time you do it, they might go, oh, mom, dad, blah, no. They are desperate for it, though, and they need really good sources of information. I'll put a pin in that and say more about that in a minute, too. Um But you need to be able to to talk to them about these processes and stages all through. And so if you need tips on um, talking about sex and sexuality with your kids or other types of things, there's another um, series on that in this podcast that can be helpful for those conversations. Now, in cognitive development with adolescents, the brains are actually enhancing self-consciousness, which brings adolescent egocentrism to something more similar to toddlerhood than anything else. When you think about a, you know, toddlers and how focused on everything is about them, um, adolescents actually their brains mirror that. Adolescents and early emerging adulthood mirror that type of egocentrism. And everything that goes on is only understood by them in light of how it affects them unless they are guided and helped to see how to see the world from someone else's point of view. We talked about empathy development in middle childhood. It's why it's so important to start that then and to really be focused on that then. Because as teenagers, try, a lot of times when parents really are frustrated and struggle with their teenagers being very selfish, um, they didn't put as much emphasis on empathy and seeing the world from other people's perspectives in middle childhood. It can still develop after that, but adolescents are resistant to developing it. And so if it's not been cultivated uh, well enough to, to show up, it's a little bit more of a fight and a push. Um, and, and people have to get creative. And a lot of times um, other helpers, like I've said earlier, mentors and friends and people who've been there before you and even counselors can help with navigating some of that. Um, social media does not help with egocentrism at all because the world does become a stage and it feels a lot more public than what some of them even have. Even if only people at school are looking at their social media, their world is still very much more public and that changes how they think about um, their themselves. Ruminations begin in adolescence. So it's ruminations are obsessive thinking about ourselves and working back through conversations and situations and things like that. Now, as a as a parent or an adult, you may be sitting here and going, well, I do that sometimes?" And that's true. We all do that at times of going back through a conversation that we've had or something that went on and going, "Oh, I really wish I'd said or done that differently," and playing it back. Now, if we do that a lot, that's uh, even as an adult, that's something that you can actually get help with through. Um, different therapy models to help readjust and realign how your thoughts are moving. Um, So just a side note on that, but ruminations begin in adolescence and the mind starts to turn on these things. And as much as we can help our kids learn how to move away from that early, the better it is for them because ruminations can turn into other problems too. What's interesting though is this egocentrism And the ruminations come from that. It's being self-focused, very in tune to our own experiences in the world and less attuned to what's happening in others. And so then our experiences become very highlighted, very big and very central but there are some other things that, you know, we've been saying for years, we, I'm not me personally, but in our profession, have been saying for years about adolescence and this egocentrism well before social media and other types of avenues made this bigger. But teens on the whole, and this has been long before technology, have this mentality of having an imaginary audience. It's like they're on a center stage and life is all about them and they're imagining their life as a way of everybody watching them and seeing them navigate through the world. Um, We talk about things like the personal fable, which is this belief that I'm unique and I'll have some legendary life, or the invincibility fable where they believe that I would never be harmed by something that might harm someone else, and it's the risk-taking that they do. All of those are connected to the egocentrism in adolescence, and they are absolutely heightened by social media and connection in those ways. Um, In terms of cognitive development, you know, we've been talking about Piaget's um, theories, and we talked about concrete operational thought in middle childhood, where there's a lot of logic and concrete thinking. In adolescence, Piaget said that by about 12, um, that people develop what's called formal operational thought, or the ability to think more abstractly. And that is definitely true that there are some open pathways for more abstract thinking. However, more current research says Piaget maybe only got part of the story there because what it appears is that formal operational thought or the ability to think in more, um, in, in higher thinking ways, more abstractly, more broader sense, being able to kind of manage our own thoughts, those kinds of things, that that only develops fully with interaction, similar to IQ. We know that now, too, that and I said this in one of the earlier childhood um, episodes that our IQ we may have propensities for things, but there are areas that won't develop if they're not engaged. Same is true for this, ab- this um, abstract thinking and this more formal thought processes. It has to be guided and engaged along the way, or it may not develop until way later. And it, sometimes it may not develop at all. That's what some of the new research is saying is that some people really never reach that and they stay in those areas. Now, I will say that that happens frequently in, with substance abuse. Um, which is why substance abuse in adolescence is such a big deal um, and why no no children should be abusing or using substances, but it can stunt development all the way back to those adolescent years of use um, and keep someone in that age range when they are seeking help as an adult. Um, you might As counselors, oftentimes, if somebody has had a long history of substance abuse or if you have someone you know who has a long history of substance abuse, if you think about the time frame when they really started using and you imagine what a teenager at that age might look like, sound like, a lot of times they still sound and look like that in the way that they interact with the world because that social, emotional, and cognitive development has stalled um, in light of the drug use as they're numbing and removing themselves from development because they don't want to, they can't move through the difficult things and the reasons that they started using. So one of the things that um, that we want to know at this stage that it's valuable to continue working in concrete manners with them because we don't always know when teens are going to get or start using that formal process of being able to push and guide them into higher thinking, into more developed thinking, challenging that, and helping them go through it, but not expecting them to think fully like adults and holding them to the same adult standard. Now, they do begin to dual process during this phase. And when we say a dual process, that can mean several things with the brain. But in this case, what I'm talking about is we have intuitive and experiential thought processes, what I know from experience, what I know from my gut. And then we also have this analytical thought process. And we can navigate between those. As adults, most of us have the ability to navigate between and decide which one we're going to use. We don't go for our gut instincts and the way that we do stuff on everything, especially not at work or, in, you know, raising our children because we would make Uh, knee-jerk reactions and decisions that might not serve us. We use our analytical brain for those things. We take a step back, take a breath, count to 10, and then we use our analytical brain. Teenagers don't know how to do that. They've only just gotten access to the ability to use both and to toggle between them. And so we have to help them slow down and decide which type of thinking that they need to use in each situation and um, help them develop the ability to know how to think in both ways on purpose and choose which one they're going to do. That's critical thinking and critical thinking definitely does not develop by itself if you just look at the world today you can see that that is really clear and so we have to grow it in our kids and help them walk through things to find answers to determine what's going on and to challenge them not just to shut them down when they're thinking wrong and they're trying to handle things the wrong way but to help them create a path to think correctly and do things in ways that are more productive um I will say this, and this is for all stages, I was trying to decide where to put this little blip in, but technology changes how people think. One of the biggest issues with technology use today is it's not as simple as just the frequency of use, Um, And it being a temporary problem, but it's because technology is interacting with our brain, our brain is changing how it engages and interacts as we are using it. So when kids and teens are using a lot of screens, especially if they're playing a lot of games and a lot of new games, um, your kids might hate me for saying this one, but I'll use Fortnite as an example. Fortnite is an example of this next generation of gaming where you've got groups of people who are gaming experts, but also people who are experts in psychology and how people think. And they work on these games and they watch people's decision-making in the games and they're altering the algorithms for how the games go as people are choosing to discontinue playing. And so what they're doing is trying to make sure that people keep playing as long as possible because that's what makes them money. And it makes sense in a business sense. But if you think about your... You know, your 10, 12, 13, 15-year-old kids who are playing and someone's building a game to try and keep them playing as long as possible. And we've already talked about the fact that kids just don't have regulating brains and brains go, "Mm, it's probably not good anymore. It can be a recipe for disaster. It's much more influential for some than others. You can't always know which kids are going to be affected more than others, and it's really difficult when um, you have such significant differences. But I have a Kids in Tech episode um, series in this podcast, too, so grab that if that would be helpful. The last part of this, of course, is the psychosocial development. So what is going on with adolescence in, um, in this phase? It's no surprise that it's all about identity. So in, in Erickson's stages, adolescence is all about identity development versus role confusion. And so everything that teens are doing is trying to figure out what they, who they are and where they fit into the world. And when the stage goes well, what happens during adolescence is that they really deconstruct many aspects of their goals, values, their parents' ideas, culture, and that includes things like political and religious beliefs and spirituality, and they ask questions and they may struggle in some of those areas, but we hope is that as they are moving beyond adolescence and into adulthood that they have been reconstructing what they believe, and it's personally owned and not just something that was handed to them by someone else, None that's when it goes well. And I'll say when it goes really well, it is not fun. It's not fun to have a teenager deconstructing their idea about whether people should follow rules or not and and you know what is happening in in the world and just challenging all of these things internally and battling that to get them to comply with what needs to happen and you know in in the moment today. And so it's not a fun process when it goes right. So when it goes wrong, it's even more difficult. But I'll tell you, when it goes wrong, it's usually because it's not difficult in adolescence and it becomes difficult later. Now, that's not to say that every adolescent is going to just struggle greatly. That's not really true. Um, but there's not any way to assure yourself or your teenager that they won't either. Um, It's not a formula for either situation, but every teen is going to struggle in many ways and it's just going to feel all over the place inside a lot of times and that's normal and okay. And as they are moving through life, challenging and questioning things and redesigning things in our heads, that's hard work. Um, But if adolescents don't do it or if our family systems don't allow them to do that in some ways, um, what can happen is that, one, they either just kind of shut that process down and they either question everything, deconstruct everything and do this process later when they're an adult in college or even after college. So it may look like they have a crisis of identity later if they did not handle this step during the appropriate time. Or they can just get lost and they don't know who they are and they don't really realize what they believe or what they think and they have a hard time doing that. And so they may just stay lost for a while. And then the last one, which is probably one of the worst, is just people can opt for what we call identity foreclosure which means I am not going to establish my own identity. I'm just going to take the identity that someone else tells me I'm supposed to have. Now, as parents, that would be a lot easier, but it is not healthier. And so just an encouragement in that, um, because the opposite of identity is role confusion. It's not having no identity. It's the lack of knowledge or awareness of what my identity is. I know I have it. I just don't know what it is. And it keeps me kind of moving around and trying to find places to fit um, and, and to engage in so that I can feel like it's productive. So in this stage, there's a heavy emphasis of identity exploration um, and the establishment of, of my identities and what I believe. And so you, you may hear teens start to talk about political or religious or demographic identities um, and more focus on that. And these are pretty fluid right now and always have been um, in terms of now th- it hasn't always been focusing on the same types of identities. Um, so right now culture has a lot to do with how teens and humans develop. Our culture influences far more than we realize and and I'll say pretty clearly too that, white American culture has a really hard time seeing our culture as culture and realizing that there are things influencing us that we're not deciding because we are the majority culture in most of the areas that we're living. And so that can change how we understand that. And so in the, in the past, um, the same emphasis on like gender and sexuality have not been the main demographic focus of identity. Um, However, in every other you know, stage of history, the fluidity of development, maybe I feel like I'm a certain way one day and in a certain way another day, and I'm not really sure, is very normal for this stage. Um, but it can feel really all over the place for parents watching kids um, explore and and try to navigate this. It feels overwhelming to us. And if we try to kind of lock down on it and and try to control it, um, we can get into a lot of relational issues that can cost us more than what we really want to pay for them. And so having someone to help you navigate conversations and connection with your kids during these stages is just, I think it's 100% necessary. I don't know how anybody gets out of um, these stages by themselves uh, in raising teenagers. Um, relationships take central focus at this stage. And so sometimes it can seem like peer Um, relationships are more important than family and, um, it's important for teens to have a a safe family to be a part of and to be able to communicate with about healthy relationships and how they form and what they look like teens, um, date and seek, you know, seek romantic relationships at different rates. Some teens are more interested, Some teens are less interested. Um, and some of that has to do with culture and family expectations too. But being able to hear and and be guided through these types of feelings and changes from the family are so important because social learning is, very powerful. And while peer support and judgment is really influential to teens, it's really, really influential to teens. Um, Parent guidance during these stages are more impactful in the long run. Peer engagement is more impactful in the short term, but parent guidance is the thing that sticks through this. And it's still really important, even if the teens are making it seem like it is far less important. And it's just important to know too that most teens are learning about sex from the media and online sites. And so, even if your teen doesn't have access to all of that and you've done your due diligence, um, a lot of their peers are. And then they're also learning from peers who are learning from the media and websites. So, I'm not saying that that is, I'm not being fatalistic with that, but just know that, you know, we're all up against. The internet in terms of information and the ability for kids to just be able to type in questions and get answers immediately is um, just—I mean—it's disheartening to me as a as a counseling professional because of the number of issues that that can be caused from that, not just what they can find online, but the building of their mind that if I have a question, I should be able to get an answer fast and easily. Um, I hear parents say a lot, my teens just don't think like I do. They don't think critically. They ask the, you know, questions that it's like they should just know it. But the truth is that they're being raised in a world where the truth is you can get an easy answer really fast for basically anything. And they know that. And it's not something that they think with the front part of their brain. It's just part of how they've been normed and and built in our culture. And so we have to know that we're up against that, too, and realize that learning about sex and sexuality from their parents is so important to hear parents talking about this. It also helps normalize that and helps them realize it's not just a teen topic Um, that is actually much more of an adult and parent topic than a teen topic. And we can normalize that for our kids by creating conversations, creating space for those topics to be brought up and engaging in that with our kids, um, during adolescence, they're facing really big adult things. And sometimes they're responding like kids and sometimes they're responding like adults. I feel like that is the one thing that I would have been a really good piece of information to know before my kids reach their teen years. Um, I'd been so easily, not easily, but I'd been adapting, you know, okay, well, they're They've hit a new stage, so they're thinking differently, and in this middle childhood, they're thinking differently than early childhood, and you can kind of get a grasp on what their individual struggles and issues are, and then I feel like in teen years, it just all dissipates into this space where you don't know anything anymore about what is going on inside of them, and you will be ha- will be halfway through a conversation before we realize, I'm trying to interact with you like an adult, and you are interacting like a child, or I'm interacting like you're a child and treating you in a way, and then all of a sudden something comes out that's bigger, this very adult that they're that they're working on and dealing with. We have to have a lot of grace for ourselves and for them in this as we're learning how to navigate that. Um, because this is a time frame that many parents describe as the hardest, um, but it helps if we have reasonable expectations. For them, for ourselves, that we are aware of what's going on during this time, that we're tapped in and we are in tune with what's happening in their lives and um, and that we're teaching them how to regulate during all of this so that there's not overreaction and an imbalance that's starting as the normal for them. I'm just glad that you were here for this adolescent ex episode. And in the next episode, we're going to move into um, young adulthood. And I'm going to do a piece on emerging adulthood as well, which is the 18 to 25 versus the 25 to 40 young adulthood. But I'm going to combine those into one episode. So I hope you tune in for that. Thank you so much for listening to Remodel Parenting. If you know someone who could benefit from this episode, I hope you'll share it with them. And if you love what we're doing, like and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. If you have topics you'd like to hear about, email us at info at